Mr. Michael Verardi, who is our next speaker, is honored us today by attending our conference. Please welcome Mr. Verardi to the stage. We completed an eight-hour workshop when he picked up the phone himself personally and called an unknown Louis Stanser to congratulate him for downloading the 10th billion song on iTunes. Know your product inside out. Know your competitors inside out. Because if you do, you have an advantage. You have freedom of mind. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you're watching us <laughs> in the world. <laughs> and uh, welcome to our seventh episode of the Customer Experience Show, where we invite the most brightest and the most innovative minds on customer service and customer experience. In the first part of the show, which I'm going to be introducing in just a little while, we have Michael Solomon. And in the second part of the show, our business development manager, Sophia Shilimindri, will be taking on questions from the audience if we have time for Micah to answer. Now let's go to my guest, Micah Solomon, who's a hands-on customer experience consultant, keynote speaker and trainer, and one of the world's leading experts on customer service, company culture, and customer experience. He's considered to be the customer service turnaround expert, and he's been named by the Financial Post as the new guru of customer service excellence. He has written five books which have been translated in over six languages, and he's the recipient of multiple awards. Finally, Micah is also a senior contributor to Forbes and the Harvard Business Review. With that said, Micah, welcome to the Customer Experience Show, my friend. Oh, thank you so much. I've written for the Harvard Business Review, but I'm not a senior, I'm a senior contributor to Forbes, so thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Thank you for setting the record straight. And that's how customer experience begins. <laughs> <laughs> so, Micah, first question. Let's go back to your early years of your career or your life and tell us what sparked your passion in customer excellence. Ah, I wasn't expecting that question. So there are two stories for how I became a customer service uh, professional. Both of them are true but they're completely different. So one is the normal press release answer, which I think is true that uh, I have always done this professionally. I had a company and that was always how we kept ourselves out of being a commodity. And then I started sharing my expertise with others. And then I wrote um, one book and people really appreciate it. I've written five, this is the newest one. Ignore your customers and they'll go away. You can get three free chapters. You just have to remember this URL ignoreyourcustomers.com. So that is the official story, but the other story is just as true, which is just like probably many people on this call, I was born very particular, just very particular. Um, I'm not the person that you wanna go to dinner with. It's true we will get incredible service because they may have a <laughs> mugshot of me posted in the kitchen, but um, uh, I just, I may ruin the experience for you by how particular I am. My, I found at my parents' um, house this actual note that they had kept from when I was in summer school, summer camp. It was at the end of the season and the counselors had sent my parents a letter, which is smart, right? The counselor, the parents are sort of the uh, customer, but the note said, um, 
It has been a rigorous pleasure having Micah at summer camp. We are used to normal complaints about the weather and so forth, but Micah upped the ante with his comments on how the Sloppy Joe sandwiches in the mess hall didn't pair well with the orange juice and how the, uh, uh, what was it? It was how, uh, how the one of the whistles at the waterfront is out of tune. So we uh, are pleased to return him to your care until the next summer season. <laughs> Which we won't take him again. I have a feeling that's how it ended. <laughs> <laughs> so Mike Aoki, uh, a particular person who has particular taste but can sense and see the minor details that make a major difference. So my question to you is, in your latest book, the one that you showed, Ignore Your Customers and They Will Go Away, you talk about your work helping companies turn around their customer service. How do you pull this off? And how might a company do it on its own that they cannot afford your services or the services of a consultant? So when I'm brought into a company, first of all, I'll tell you, people who hire me are already usually doing okay. It's a funny thing. If your service is terrible, you probably don't even realize how much better life could be if you invested in customer service. So I'm more likely, and these are just examples, but I'm more likely to get a phone call from, uh, oh, I don't know, Virgin Atlantic, and I'm never going to get a call from Spirit Airlines because <laughs> they figured out another way to make money, right? Without, so. So, and those are just examples. So, so uh, usually the company is doing okay, but often they realize that they used to be doing better and then they grew quickly and their customer experience didn't keep up. So I'll look and I'll see what's wrong and the kinds of things that are wrong. Uh, some of these things are things that, as you mentioned, you could check for yourself. You're answering customer inquiries more slowly. You're not doing it as personally. You're not signing thank you notes anymore. Your managers are hiding back in their offices looking at spreadsheets instead of interacting with the customers on uh, in person or on phone calls. And why does this happen? Well, I think when you have success as a company, you start to believe that your business development efforts can provide you with an infinite supply of customers, right? But I could draw you a chart right now and show you when you're going to go out of business by losing customers one by one. There is not an infinite, uh, there's not an infinite number of uh, customers for one reason because customers don't always leave quietly anymore, right? Well, unfortunately, they often leave quietly and don't tell us what's wrong, but they go right to the word of thumb, right? And they post and tell as many friends as they have online or off. So you asked how, okay, so what would I do to turn around a company? Well, yes, I will get a current state of the company. And one of the fun parts of that is um, uh, some high level mystery shopping that I'll do just to get a feel, kind of like when I was at summer camp and I was critiquing the, the things. So, but I'll, I get, now I get paid for that. And uh, in fact, my next book might be called I'm paid to complain, <laughs> but my wife, my wife said, well, if I have that, then the subtitle needs to be, but my wife, at, my wife listens for free. 
<laughs> That's good. So, Micah, wait, 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 wait. I'm not ah, talking sorry. about medical. No, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait. So, so what? Oh, sorry. What was your follow-up question? Go ahead. No, no. Why don't they put the customer first then? Why don't companies? Oh, most most people don't intend to not put the customer first, but. And that's really a good question. A lot of times they don't know how to put the customer first. They haven't standardized their customer service standards, which is one of the first things I'll work on a, on a customer service engagement is to standardize their their um, standards, or you could call them best practices. Um, and oh, then we'll work a lot on training uh, it could be live training like we would be doing right now, or it can be asynchronous e-learning. I'll come into a company and develop an e-learning product, which the, the advantages of that are a lot of them. One of them, you don't have to take people off the floor uh, and have coverage problems. You can build in quizzes for certification and so forth. Why else don't they put the customer first? Oh, well, the boss will say we're going to put the customer first, but then they time all your calls and they don't give you enough time. They punish you if you took the initiative to help a customer in unusual ways. Uh, so there are many reasons why people, what, what reasons do you see, Michael? Uh, the reasons I see is because uh, they don't follow the golden rule, treat others as you would like to be treated. And uh, we all understand how we should be treated if we were the customer. Mm -hmm. But uh, when we when we encounter a customer, we seem to forget all this. And mm -hmm. when I went to a university to lecture on this, I told them that we can finish this in 10 seconds rather than in two days by following the golden rule. Treat others as you would like to be treated. It's very easy, but people don't do it because I believe they think they're in a position of power, whereas they are not. The customer is in a position of power in, in, my, in my books. Well, do you know the whole story of how uh, Mr. Sharp, Isidore Sharp, um, that was the realization he came to a, a few decades ago, that they were going to base everything on the golden rule. And because they're four seasons, they made their golden rule have four parts, how we're going to treat our customers, how we're going to treat each other, how we're going to treat our uh, shareholder, and so forth. Um, and when he did that, and once the executives realized that he was serious about this, he said that you could just hear the fact, this was a while ago, you could hear the faxes flying out of the building as they applied for jobs in other companies because they weren't interested in living this way. But um, they got a whole new group of people and the people who were interested, who already worked for him, who were willing to live the golden rule have thrived since then. So uh, you're absolutely onto that. Now there is a subtlety here, which is that um, some customers don't want to be treated the same way you would like to be treated. Maybe they want it want to interact only by text, whereas you would like to be on the phone and so forth. And it's even trickier than that, which is some customers in the morning are in a big hurry, but in the afternoon they have plenty of time to talk with you. So there are some subtleties, but yes, starting with the golden rule is an incredible place to start. Okay. Uh, you are considered to be an expert from what I read, from what I've seen, and from your videos uh, for luxury hotels as a mystery shopper, but also delivering a great experiences. Can you tell us if there are some secrets to exceptional customer service, either in hotels, because we have a lot of people from the hospitality industry, or in general? Are there any secrets? <laughs> well, if they are, I can't tell you, right? No, um, 
I will tell you, even though I have done, oh, where's my, this is my book. For those of you who are in the hospitality industry, this is my book um, that is specifically on the hospitality industry. It's exclusively about hotels and restaurants. It's called The Heart of Hospitality. So, um, so I will tell you, I, while I do a lot with hospitality industries, uh, hospitality industry, I also get a lot of calls from other industries who want to be like you because honestly, you guys are the best. So I will get many more inquiries from potential clients who want to become the, for example, the Ritz Carlton of banking. And I have never gotten a phone call from a luxury hotel that wants to be I don't know what, the Citibank of hospitality. That just has <laughs> never happened. So you guys already know, I think, to a very large extent what you're doing. What are the what are the secrets? Oh, well, one thing I think is all the emphasis placed on the beginning and the ending of the interaction, what the Rich Carlton calls the warm welcome and the fond farewell. Um, and the reason those are important is because of two psychological principles that have been proven. The one is called the primacy effect, which is that what happens first in an interaction is remembered the most easily by a customer. And the recency effect, which means that the last thing that happened is also uh, most commonly understood. I said most commonly remembered. The stuff in the middle is a little bit of a blur. So the beginning and the endings are very important. Uh, another thing that I think hospitality understands better than other industries is the important, uh, importance of service recovery, right? Um, there are some hotels that maybe they're not so great at uh, their services or their key cards break a lot and so forth, but boy, they are quick to run up to your, your uh, floor and get you a new key card and maybe bring some champagne with it because they understand that you can have a guest and you can have a problem. And if you do the recovery right, um, that guest may become more loyal than if nothing had gone wrong in the first place. Very true. And uh, we have a comment from Georgios Frosinis who has graduated, if I'm not mistaken, from the Swiss Educational Group. Good and, for you. And he knows about uh, hospitality. He says, empathy is the secret. I truly agree with you, George. And uh, uh, dear Micah, I will ask you only my last question we have a, because we have a lot of questions coming in from okay. our audience. And the last question, because you're based in the United States of America, and hopefully you know more things than we do here in Europe, or you are uh, front runners in technology. The question is, what should the role of artificial intelligence be in customer service today? <laughs> well, let's back up. Why would I know more than you? I mean, wasn't hospitality invented by the Greeks or... Um, in the Bible, depending which which source you go by. Um, exactly, but the Americans at the end, they write the books and they know a bit more things, even though- Well, you, you, know, what, you know what we're a little better at is um, maybe this apology part, like not trying to assign, not trying to be so accurate, but just being willing to empathize. We might be a little better at that, but but you know, it depends. I mean, I love going to England and if someone with a beautiful British accent says, well, says, well, 
sadly, if they say sadly, I, I'll, I'll accept any kind of hardship because of the nice way they say sadly. So AI, okay, so that's a good question. So I have a triangular model of AI and at each of the vertices, at each of the angles, there is the AI, the customer or the employee. So this means that the customer could go directly to the AI, like if they're using a chatbot on their site, but when things get complicated, uh, the AI might know enough to invoke um, an employee for the escalation, or the employee can go straight to, I'm sorry, the customer can go straight to the employee. But even though they're working one-on-one -on -one with the employee, there's no rule that says that the employee can't have their answers informed by what they're getting from the AI at the same time. So um, my model is that it's not either or. Um, one of the, the, I have a friend who has a company called Ivy, Ivy, and their product is called, I'm, the company is called Go Moment. The product is Ivy, and it is um, a virtual concierge sort of program, but not so much like finding out um, what the local attractions are, but it's a thing where you your room, ask for more towels and so forth. But the way it's designed, I think is the right way. You ask the question and if it's very straightforward, then the AI just routes it to the department, to housekeeping or whatever it is. But if it's like, oh my gosh, I can't stand the bugs in my room or something like that, or some, you know, one of these horrible keywords like dirty, then immediately it escalates to a person because you want, you want to handle that directly. Okay. And what I like about your website is that you're talking directly to my kind, not to a bot. And uh, this says a lot. So what you preach, you practice. Well, I'm able to do that because I haven't been overwhelmed by the volume. We'll see. <laughs> but yes, so far you get me if you chat with me on the website. You can try that if you want. You're still young, my friend, but when you grow older, maybe it will be different. <laughs> so uh, sadly. So Sophia. <laughs> Shall we go on to our questions from the audience? Yes, we have a question that I'm sure you will like, Micah, <laughs> because it's the first chapter of your book. So how to say no to customers and still manage to turn the negative into positive? Who's asking this? John. Oh, okay, so that's great. So the first chapter of my book is about having a culture, a default of yes. So I think if you walk in or even get on the telephone with a great company, you can just sense that they want to say yes to you. They're just waiting to hear what the question is and then they'll figure out a way to say yes. So this is great um, as a start that your goal is to say yes, right? So, but if you can't say yes, um, what you can do is you can say, well, here's what we can do, right? Here's what we can do. So this is actually a Forbes standard. If you want to be a five-star hotel, and again, when I speak about hotels, it's just because it's an interest, it's partly because I like to work with them, but it's partly that it's a good example for the rest of us, I feel. So to be a Forbes five-star hotel, one of the standards is never say no to a guest without providing one or two reasonable alternatives. So if you were in a luxury hotel and someone wants to eat in the dining room, but it's 1130 and you ended breakfast at 11, um, 
you could just say no, or if you're British, you could say sadly. <laughs> but um, but it's better if you say um, um, what I can do is bring set up breakfast for you on the veranda, because we'll be we'll need to be setting up for lunch within the uh, dining room. But if it doesn't inconvenience you, we'll set it up for you on the veranda, or we'll bring it up to your room. So never say no to a guest without having one or two reasonable alternatives. Now, I don't know if this is in the Forbes standards, but I personally will say there are exceptions. Here are the exceptions. If the request has safety, security, or privacy implications. So I have been in places where a guest will put their chair up blocking an emergency exit and the hotel employees are too scared to tell them to move it. That is, that's gotta be a hard no. I mean, you can be polite, but that chair has to move because if there's a fire, we don't wanna, or, um, oh my word. I mean, this is, maybe this is too grim an example, but remember, do you remember how Princess Diana died? She died because a Ritz employee had been drinking all night and then was nice and drove her. Um, so that's, you know, that's a moment where you should say, well, sadly, um, I can't drive you, uh, but I, here's someone else who can drive you, right? Um, but, you know, those are the extreme exceptions. The, um, those are the extreme exceptions. Okay. And, and if I have any details wrong about Diana, please send me your conspiracy theories. I'm happy to get them. <laughs> Sophia, <laughs> you Mike, uh, Sophia. Okay, a question from George Fichtos. He says, more and more customers are using procurement procurement, and shifting focus on price alone. What is your best tip to get out of this trap? Okay, so I guess that George is in an industry where you send out a bid to a lot of people and then you, then you think they're taking the lowest bid, but are they really? A lot of times they're taking the they're, they will make excuses to take your bid if they've already bonded with you on a person on a personal level that I, I you know it's not going to be perfect sometimes you are going to lose on price but when that happens hopefully the competitor will be really rude to them or not answer their calls in time and they'll ask you again a very valid reason i agree with you that's that has been my experience too Sophia, can we take another one or two questions, please? Last question, because we are running out of time, but I really like this question, is from Savas Kostantinidis. And he's asking, when you are called to help a company in customer care, did you ever have to argue with that company's managers or directors resisting your advices? Oh, what a great question. That's a really great question. I think the people who hire me tend to not argue with me a lot, but I'm sure there are people behind the scenes who find ways to sabotage an initiative by you know, worrying only about the immediate bottom line. So abs absolutely, there are companies where people in a position of power will only give lip service to my recommendations. Yeah, absolutely, that happens, I'm sorry to say. Thank you so much. I will let you close. Thank you, Sophia. Thank you very much. And thank you to everyone who has tuned in. Uh, just to recap, uh, I would like to thank Micah, who, as he said, was a particular kid. And maybe that stemmed from his particularities to find ground in customer experience. 
he he has become the bot when the bot is not responding <laughs> as it should and a person who loves hospitality and has taken many lessons from hospitality and applied across all industries written five books and was kind enough to connect with us and uh, share his tips and wisdom and pearls of wisdom. Thank you, Micah, for being present and thank you for being on the Customer Experience Show. Thank you, Michael, and thank you, Sophia, behind the scenes. Thank you, everyone. Take good care and uh, looking forward to seeing you next month with another exciting show at the, for the Customer Experience.